It's edifying to sing those songs of our hope in Christ. If you are a visitor or a guest, I should say, here today, then some of the words that we were singing might seem a little bit strange, talking about an anchor in the veil or being dressed in righteousness. And what I want to just encourage you with is that those things point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is real and who is here with us today. He is the ultimate unseen guest, but who is really the Lord of all that goes on here. And so we come to look to him in the word. He is the one who has given us this word, the Bible, for our hope and our foundation. And so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. If you're using one of the the Bibles provided under the seat in front of you, that's on page 982, Philippians chapter four. Church refocused is the theme of our fall series. And our attempt this fall was to take some time to take a step back to assess where we're at as a church. And before we go forward, we want to determine where our health is as a church. And so over the past few weeks, we've talked about things from the sermons, like love for Christ, having a first love renewed and a refocus on Christ as the one who has called us into the church to begin with. We focused on prayer, and even this whole month, we're taking emphases from the book of Psalms and calling out special nights of prayer as a body so that we can focus together, so that we can prioritize prayer as a body together. Today, I want to focus on another area that I think is necessary for us before we move forward, and it's the topic of healthy spiritual relationships. Let me look with you at Philippians chapter four, and we will just read two verses today. I wanna read to you, and you follow along, Philippians chapter four, verses two and three. This is the Apostle Paul writing, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pause for a moment, let's pray. Father, thank you for this text of scripture. Thank you for our hope in it. Thank you that you will speak to us today. Help us to respond to you with the appropriate repentance and trust. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Are there certain people here in this church who really, really annoy you? I'm not asking you to look around. I, I have a confession this morning, and it's not about anybody here. It's just a general one, all right? I'm gonna keep it as general as I can to begin with. I have wrestled at certain points in my life, in my Christian life, with feelings that I have had about other people in the church, whether that's here or, or any church that I've been in, that come up, and it's, I, I can't describe it much more than just an annoyance. And it's not because the person is bad or sinful, 
but at the root of it, they're just different than me. They're just different. It could be my introversion reacts against their extroversion. Or it could be that my careful nature is offended by their reckless nature. You know, these are things that I've wrestled with so much so that when I read text of scripture like in 1 John, where it talks about how you know you are a believer that you will love the brothers, I have really worried at times. I don't know if you've ever felt that sting of your own heart in the midst of a grievance or, or even just an annoyance at somebody else in the body of Christ. The reality is that happens. And what I want to do as we go through this text of scripture is talk about what happened back here with Iodia and Syntyche, two women in the church of Philippi, who by this point, as the letter was being read in the assembly of Philippi, were probably on opposite sides of the room. And when their names were read by the Apostle Paul's writing, and as the Philippian elders read this letter, I am sure women who were nodding in approval of their citizenship in heaven, of Christ renewing their bodies to be like his glorious body, all of a sudden heard their names and looked up with shock. Wouldn't you? What if I this morning stopped preaching about the glories of Christ and I called out two of you by name and I said, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Why did Paul do this? I believe it was an important move of Paul. And he did stop in his glorious portrayal of the work of Christ. For this reason, he knew there was relational tension in the church. And he wanted to convey something to Iodia, Syntyche, and everyone else who's mentioned in those two verses that whole church and every church thereafter. It's an important principle that you and I need to remember, and it will help us. God's people hurt each other. It's true. You wouldn't expect that in the church, but it happens. Even God's people hurt each other. And Paul was deeply concerned that he not go forward to even finish his letter not even tacking this address to Iodia and Syntyche onto the end of the letter because he couldn't go forward in encouraging them in the mission to give up cares, to thrive in everything, in every circumstance, until he helped these women know how to address the hurt that they had caused to each other in this church. Do you see the need for us today to address this need for our body? It needs to be a refocus. We could stock ministries with great people achieving great things for a great God and not grow one bit because relationships between us are broken and we're just living with it, not accepting the charge from the Lord to pursue relational spiritual health. And so God's word instructs us in this text of scripture today that the church thrives only so far as the people pursue healthy spiritual relationships. 
This is a theme that I see here and throughout scripture and one that I want us to look at today. So how can we, as a body of believers here at West Park, learning from the example of two women in the first century in Philippi, pursue healthy spiritual relationships? Here's point number one. Healthy spiritual relationships require personal responsibility. You could even put beside personal, mutual responsibility. There are layers of responsibility that the Apostle Paul mentions here. So you can see it in the phrase in verse two. He says there, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche. Now notice that he, he says entreat two times and he addresses both women with this word. What is the word? The word has to do with the word parakaleo, which is a, a, a Greek verb that we know most of all describes the work of the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside somebody to help them. Basically, to put your arm around them and help them to know which steps to take forward. The Holy Spirit does that with us and points us to Jesus Christ so that we're not lost and we know the way. Believers can have that ministry. Paul here has that ministry to these two women. And it's ironic and good, helpful, he does not say one entreat. He doesn't say, I entreat Iodia and Syntyche to sort out their mess. No, by addressing both women, he's saying to them, you, Iodia, and you, Syntyche, you have responsibility in this, you have responsibility in this to agree in the Lord. We'll get to that in just a minute. Last week as I was driving, maybe this will help us understand this, my check engine light came on in my car. Has that ever happened to you? It's helpful to know I'm not alone sometimes. <laughs> I knew that something was up. The, the transmission in my car had been acting strange. And I had taken it to a mechanic, he cleaned it out as best he could, and told me that I was probably gonna face some trouble later on. So when that check engine light came on, I realized that I, I had a few things that I could do. Number one, I could complain about it and do nothing. I could go home to my wife and say, my check engine light came on. Of all the things to happen, this right now, how can my car do this to me? I could ignore it and do nothing. Maybe take a hammer, bash that dashboard part in so that the light goes off and then keep driving. Or I could do something about it early and swiftly. So I'll tell you later what I did, okay? <laughs> For right now, I want you to see that the situation in Philippians 4, 2 to 3, with these two women had gone far beyond the act early and swiftly category. If anything, they were complaining about each other and they were ignoring each other. And it probably had gone in waves. Whatever the issue was, we're not told. But we do know that it wasn't a doctrinal problem. One wasn't saying, um, you know, Jesus is just a man, he's not God. And the other wasn't, was saying, you know, he is God and he is man both. They weren't arguing about doctrine. Otherwise, Paul would have come in with a different strategy. But the way that he comes in indicates these are both believing women. They both love Christ. Christ. 
They both want to serve in the church, and they're both still in the church, but they've just kind of settled into their own camps, and their, their strategy is just ignore it. If it comes up again, complain about it to other people, but it's just too hard to get back together. Maybe Iodia was more popular. Maybe Sintiki was an extrovert and annoyed Iodia. Whatever it was, where they had once stood side by side in the gospel, fighting alongside each other, they were now separated and conducting a silent war against each other. So the responsibility here, the layers are these. First, there is a leader responsibility. And I would say the Apostle Paul models this well for all of us who are pastors and even for those of us who are godly mature leaders in the congregation here. To the pastors and to the leaders here, I pass on to you from the word, the example of the Apostle Paul. You can look a little bit further up, right before this text, at the end of chapter three, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm taking his example here, that when we see relational problems in the church that rise to the level that most people in your group know about it, or if everyone in the church has a sense of it, address it. For the glory of Christ, we can't ignore it. Those things, as they are ignored, tend to blow up and damage the church even more. Individual responsibility works like this. These two women were supposed to take responsibility of their own actions and their own words to each other. And somehow they were to come back, and the second part of this says they were to agree in the Lord. And again, we'll look at that in just a moment. They were to have some sense of their own responsibility of what got them into this relational discord and then do something about it. And so the way forward for us at this point is I want to say to each one of us, it does no good in the body of Christ to nurture hurts done against you. It doesn't do any good to complain about it to other people. As certainly as the sun rises, if you walk the Christian life with somebody else, you will offend them or they will offend you It's a part of this life, and I'll explain why that is in a moment. But recognize that, and recognize that each of us in a relational conflict have some area that we need to address to make it right. What's your responsibility? Well, Paul continues to give counsel from afar, from his jail cell to these women. And the second point today is this. Healthy spiritual relationships require unity of mind. And this is the phrase that he says to the women, agree in the Lord. Now when your relationships suffer from the brokenness of this kind of discord that these women were experiencing, the only thing that can bring you back together in unity, the only thing that can heal you The only person who can do that work is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Paul uses this phrase, the ESV translates it here, agree. You'll see that in verse two. Agree in the Lord. While that's appropriate, I think it mutes and kind of distracts us from the real force of what Paul is saying. 
Because when you're in a conflict and you, you, you think of the word agree, what typically runs through your mind is whatever got us into this mess, I have to agree with her and she has to agree with me. Or I have to agree with him and he has to agree with me. You know, so the word agree is not necessarily helpful for us in the English language. But what Paul is saying is a Greek expression, and I'll just give you the English literal expression. He says, be of the same mind. That's a little more helpful because he's already used it in the book of Philippians. And I would like us to turn to the section where he used it. It's very familiar. Turn back to Philippians chapter two. Back in chapter two, you get a sense that Paul knew that the problem between these two women was there in the church. And it was likely typical of other problems that were emerging. Again, the more you walk the Christian life, the more you will offend the people around you within the Christian community, and the more they will offend you. So Paul says here, look at verse one of chapter two. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. There's that expression, same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord, and then again he says, and of one mind. Now, he's giving them some conditions here, and he's basically saying, if, you, if you've enjoyed any blessings from Christ in your Christian life, and if you are a believer, you have such rich affection and love from Christ, then he says, then come together and adopt the same mindset. And then he doesn't leave them hanging, he tells them what that mindset is. Look with me at verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you, not only to your own, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here it is, as Paul gets right down to it, he says, do nothing from rivalry. That's a competition. Do, comp do, do Christians compete against one another in the Christian life? They do. Even here, I am sure that many of us have fallen into the trap of thinking that our Christian performance is on display to get God's favor or to show that we're further along, more mature, and better equipped to handle the Christian life than other people are. That gives us some sense of security if we could ever get there so that competition drives us at certain points in our Christian life. And in order to be the best, we have to show the best spiritual credentials, whether that's being in more ministries than other people, whether that's praying longer, whether that's getting more Bible studies than other people under your belt. Your spirituality is on display for others to see. Paul says, there's no hope in that for you. And no, no conceit, no showing yourself off could ever satisfy you or meet the needs of your heart or help you in your relationships. So he says, do nothing out of that mindset, but look not only at your own interests, because you know you will, but look to the interests of others and see where they're at. And then he gives the ultimate example. Look at verse five. Have this mind, that phrase again, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is one of the most beautiful and lofty expressions of praise for Christ in the book of Philippians. And at the heart of it, Paul is communicating to this factious and contentious group within the Philippian church. You have received already the mind, the central existence point, everything that you need to live out the life of a servant. This text of scripture was not given to them to debate the finer points of theology about Christ. It was given to them to worship him for all that he had done for them. What had he done? He had given himself up to the point of death by humbling himself. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven to come to this broken world He put aside for a season his existence with the Father and the Spirit to come down, not losing his divinity, but taking on him the form of a man, a servant, 100% God in 100% man. A mystery, but a glory as we saw him live out the life of love towards God and love towards other people. And his love was so complete that in obedience to his father, he sacrificed his life on a cruel Roman cross, died. And we know from his word that it was for sinful people that he did this so that they could come to him and claim certain forgiveness that he could offer them. This is what Jesus did And this is what Paul is saying that Yodia and Syntyche within their conflict must adopt. Now, he wasn't calling them to go and to be crucified on a cross, but he was calling them to have the mindset that says, no matter what has been done to me, I will put that aside. Or if need be, I will deal with it with the person at the right time. But my aim is to serve. My aim is to do that sister a spiritual good. My aim is to help that person where I can and where they will let me so that we can once again experience the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul did not say, and I want you to get this, these women are so hopelessly messy that one of them must go to a different church now. And that's often our recourse, isn't it? When a relationship here blows up out of proportion and it's unhealthy, one of the reactions is, get out of here. I just wanna see a different focus here for our church where we would not run from the trouble that we find ourselves in through our relationships. But in humility, we would recognize another important thing. 
God is using those relationships to expose some things in you and to expose some things in the other person that otherwise you would never have experienced and are pointing both of you to your ongoing need for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. As helpful as that counsel is, back in Philippians 4, just note an encouragement that Paul says, agree in the Lord. As we consider humbling ourselves toward other people, it's not easy to do that. As a matter of fact, it is impossible when you've been camping out on different sides of the church to actually move to the middle and greet another person and actually start sharing life again. Some real things need to happen, some healing. But Paul gives them the hope that this will not happen by their own efforts. This will happen as they turn in humility to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, what I see in you, I desire in me. And you're, you're putting me in a situation now where you want to do a work. Please, Lord, keep doing that work and help me not to remove myself from a relationship that I need to address. This can be true of friendships in the church, of parents and children, and of marriages. In all of these categories, my concern is that we would have hearts that first go to the Lord in humility and faith and then move toward one another. So it's helpful so far, friends, as the council has been to Eodia and Syntyche, and as they're taking in the words of the apostle to agree in the Lord, to have the same mind as Christ, Paul goes a step further, and he gives some encouragement to others in the church, which will lead us to our last point. Point number three, healthy spiritual relationships require genuine support. Look at verse three with me again. It says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. No one knows exactly who the true companion is here in verse three. Sometimes in your English translations, you might have the word Syzygous, and that's actually a proper name. And that is the Greek word behind this phrase, true companion. In other places, you might have the word true yoke fellow. So it shows that there is some difference of opinion about who Paul is talking to. I think that the phrase true yoke fellow is actually one of the more helpful ways to translate this. Why? Well, a yoke was something that you would put on to two oxen, and they would put themselves, and it would be well-seasoned and worked out so that their strong, broad backs could bear this yoke. And you would hook it up to them, and they would go forward together, walking and plowing the same line. The Apostle Paul is concerned to have guys and women in the congregation who can actually say that their hearts are so united with his and really with the Lord's that it's like they're in the yoke together. They're hooked up and they are plowing in the same direction. So as he addresses this person in the church, he's saying, true yoke fellow, the one that I know I can count on, help these women. And when he asked help these women, he's not coming alongside and saying the same way, 
Will you help these women? Now, that word parakleo is not used here. It's a different word that's communicating something important. He views this person as a co-laborer, not someone in need, but someone that he knows he can count on. So he's asking, would you do this? Knowing full well, the answer that he would get would be, yes, I will. The Apostle Paul then gives some reminders of these women, which I've saved for last. And I want to point them out to you today. And here's how I want to do it. I want to talk about what it would be like if we here at West Park were yoke fellows with Christ. You just stick us in the yoke with the Lord Jesus Christ, who told us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that as we come to him, we will find rest for our souls. That sure sounds like a good solution for relational conflict. And if we are gonna be yoke fellows with the Lord Jesus Christ, how can we offer support to sow into the culture of our church so that as problems arise, and even as we're walking through the day-to-day difficulties of relational stress with each other, what can we support each other with? Here's what the, the Apostle Paul said about these women. In the first place, he supported them with past victories. Look at the text. He says, help these women who have labored side by side with me. I love that expression. And here's what he means by it. The word labor gives us the impression that they were working side by side. But that word actually is soon athleo, and we get the word athlete from it. Basically, it communicates this. They were, they were in a competition side by side, competing for the same goal. It could even be a gladiatorial term, meaning they were in the ring together, back to back, fighting off the enemies. He has a great affection for these women, the Apostle Paul. And when he reaches out, he wants them to know that. When you know others are experiencing great relational stress, it might be a married couple that you know about. If you know they're in the midst of relational conflict, if you're a yoke fellow of Christ, you won't allow that to keep going. You will step in and try to help them with prayer, not not intending to expect that you have all the answers for what to do, but you wanna point them to something. It could be past victories. And what is this really but just reminders of God's grace? A principle that you can take away at this point is this, if there is any good in any of the relationships that I've ever experienced, that's because God is so gracious. He is so gracious. Do I really deserve to have deep friendships? Do I really deserve to have strong, healthy relationships? Left to myself, I'm speaking for myself, I would never see those things. But God is so gracious. And if I remind a married couple in the midst of stress who are getting closer to the verge of splitting, maybe not divorcing, but living in separate rooms in the house, living in different, different places than each other, I would just say this, would you, would you focus on God's grace to you in the past? You may not think you have a thing in common right now, but look at the grace of God in your life. Look at what he's done for you. Even look at what he's done for you together. This takes 
nuanced, careful counsel, but a heart that is overcome by the grace of God. The Apostle Paul was such a man. Even from a prison cell, he could look back and he could say, even though I'm here, my heart is not stuck. And I know these women. They're in the church and they're free and they're walking out, but they're more captive than I am right now in this jail cell. The grace of God Remind them of the grace of God. And then he says, support them with the gospel. This is the message that they were about. He said, these women labored side by side with me in the gospel. Now, the gospel is something that Paul has mentioned in the book of Philippians up to about 10 times by this point. And he wants them to get it. I appreciate so much over the past few years how God has put me with people who have shared the gospel with me again and again and again. One of the, the, the couples that modeled this well for my, my wife and I, they lived in China with us. They were fellow Americans there serving in local churches there. And they were mentors to us, but at times they would pull away from us and got busy with other people. And since they were supposed to be mentors to us, we kind of felt the sting when they weren't around all the time. And when they started to leave, I can remember my heart, even towards the brother who was such a good older brother to me, closing off and saying, well, if he's so busy, I guess I really don't need to make time for him. Or I just can't count on him, so I guess I'd better just do other things. That was such a hard, dry, dark season of my life. Even as I was preaching the gospel in the church, I was so thankful for when that brother and sister came over to our apartment and they actually said, we love you guys, but we sense that there's something between us. Can you help us understand what's going on? If there's anything that we've done to hurt you or to cause any, any damage in our relationship, please help us know what it is so that we can make it right. I praise God for them because it helped me realize that what was going on in my heart was sin, it wasn't acceptable, and I needed help. And they were yoke fellows of Christ, even though I felt like the tension was with them, and they came to us and modeled for us, for my wife and I, what we've tried to perpetuate, sometimes well, sometimes not so well. But by God's grace, we're growing. The gospel is this, and here's the good news, I appreciate this summary from Tim Keller. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Now if we are to support each other with the gospel, here's what we can do, even as we share this good news with people who don't believe it, we minister the same message to each other. In relational conflict, it is helpful to remember how you got into it. Remember that first part? We are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe. Nothing reveals your sins and your flaws like relational conflict. Nothing really does. Now, the stresses of life in other ways, of course, bring up your sins and your flaws. But God's design, by putting you in the relationships that you have and that you've pursued up to this point, it's not accidental to his plan. His plan is to help you see that what you are in the middle of is actually his gracious revealing of some of your sins and your flaws. 
Your sins are things that you do against the glory of God and against his image bearers. And your flaws are things that are not necessarily sins. It's just you being you, the quirky you that you are. So God is revealing all of those things so that we would turn from our hope in winning the relationship by those things to him. And the second part of that gospel definition, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Gives us hope that in our relationships, we have someone who can lead us to that relational unity that we seek. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's revealing through our conflict exactly why we need him and exactly who he is and how he can, he can take care of it. So the good news that I would remind you of is that you are more hopelessly flawed than you ever dared believe and more sinful than you ever dared believe. Your sense of that grows the longer you walk with the Lord. But likewise, your recognition of how big the cross is, how great it is, how wonderfully unifying it is between you and God to bring you to him and to bridge the gap between you and others. Praise God for the gospel. It gives us hope. It's a message of great hope. And finally, support them with eternal hope. This is the last support that Paul gives. Look at what he calls their attention to, that their names are written in the book of life. This is mentioned in the Old Testament. God's book is his record of who belongs to him, who truly is his child, and he knows. The book of Revelation mentions this many times as God consults his book and bases his judgments accordingly about who belongs to him and who does not. I used to read this when I was a, a kid and think, man, I wish Joe Kappel's name was here in this verse. Would you ever just love that if you had an inspired book of the Bible and it said your name, insert your name, your name is in the book of life. Well, my hope is not that I could have my name printed in the Bible. My hope is that Christ is in me. And that by faith in who he is, I can have the confidence that he has saved me. Not based on who I am, he has saved me. And my hope is that I have an eternity with him. There's a song that I appreciate from the artist um, Andrew Peterson. You may have heard of him, you may not have heard of him. But he has a song called, I Want to Say I'm Sorry. And so as he wrote the song, I don't know who it was intended for, maybe his wife, maybe a friend. And it starts with, I want to say I'm sorry, but it's not enough. And he talks about how the relationship that he was striving so hard to get just right has resulted in some damage because of some things that were left unsaid, some things that were said, and things from their past that they brought into it. And towards the end, he says in the song, I want to sit beside you at the feast, my friend, again. The Lord's Supper ultimately is a relationship through sacrament here in our church where we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and we look around at each other and we say we are friends by God's grace sitting at the table until one day we're in the presence of God in eternity and we will experience such joy 
Our relationships will be restored and we will have the hope of eternity. Not the dread of eternity with people we don't like. The hope of eternity with people who will be remade into the image of Jesus Christ to experience all the joys of relationship that we were meant to. So, conclusion today, my check engine light. You know, I had a friend that I called up. I actually called up two or three friends who I knew were more tech savvy than me, car savvy, engine savvy, and I asked them for help. Um, One of them was my good friend, Jay Woodward. He usually works in that sound booth up there. He helped me put in a bunch of fluids that I had neglected to put into my car, as ignorant as I was. I could have ignored the things that were going on, but the things that he did helped my check engine light to go off. Now I know I'm still probably gonna have trouble, but here's the deal, it's just a car. Cars break, but you are precious to Christ. And it's safe with him to admit that you have a problem because he's already covered all of your sin on the cross. If you are a Christian here today, you can come to him. If you are not a Christian today, then recognize that there's hope for you. The gospel that I've referred to throughout the sermon today is a message for you. Will you repent? That means turn away from your sins. As a matter of fact, it's sin to even expect a relationship on earth to completely fulfill you. Only God can do that. And he can help you. He can forgive you of your sin. And he can cleanse you so that you could be a true friend to someone else out of that certain hope that he gives you the resource you need. And so friends, don't ignore, don't ignore that relational tension and damage. Come to the Lord and expect him to bring healing and help to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of knowing Christ. Our hearts are eager as we expect you to work, and I pray that you would. Please help us, Lord, for relationships here that are between two people who have hurt one another, and they're not certain that they can even continue in a friendship, in a marriage. Would you please grant them the healing that they so desperately need today? Help some spiritual leaders who are here in our church to step alongside them as the yoke fellows of Christ and to help them know the way. Sow into our culture by people making choices to support one another with your grace, with your gospel, with the hope of eternity. And in these ways, I look to you with expectation that you are good and that you will respond. In Jesus' name, amen.